little helpers. This week we have a first for our entire podcast, which is that we have two guests. We have a therapist and her patient. The therapist is Dr. Caitlin Fang, who you may know from our most popular episode of all time. And the patient is, we'll call her Molly, and she's suffering from a disorder called I dissociative identity disorder, which was formerly called multiple personality disorder. So I am so incredibly excited to have both of you on the podcast to share both your experience in treatment and treating this disorder. So welcome both of you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Caitlin, could you start us off by telling us what is dissociative identity disorder or DID? Absolutely. So It is a disorder that often emerges from trauma as an adaptive response. So when something really, really traumatic happens that surpasses someone's ability to cope, one thing that can happen is a part of that person kind of like splinters off, compartmentalizes off to formulate another person who, who's like primary responsibility is to hold that. And so the disorder manifests as time loss for the person who is subjectively like living, experiencing their life. And during that time, a distinct personality emerges. So sometimes there is one personality, sometimes there are multiple personalities. But like the thing that is really cool and interesting to me is that it is one end of a spectrum. Like we all have this dissociative tendency that happens where when something really upsetting happens, we're kind of like, oh, man, I can't handle this. And so a different part of us, a different part of our personality might come out where it's like, I got to handle this. I am going to get through this meeting. I am going to do it. I am the like competent part of myself and I am just going to shut down whatever horrible thing just happened so that I can function, so that I can do this. And when the trauma is really, really severe, this is a really effective way where you can preserve functioning for the individual by having some other piece of you hold the part that is really hard to handle. Sometimes that is like, I need to be a competent part where I come out and no emotions exist and I just like grocery shop or I do yard work or I do whatever tasks need to be done. For other cases, it's like I am responsible for anger. And so it's really dangerous because I'm a child. And if I showed all this anger I'm feeling, I would get hurt or I couldn't function within my house because you can't yell at the people who are feeding you, who are housing you. And so it's possible one part has to hold this anger in and keep it so that you don't express that in real life. And so it looks really different for different people, depending on like, what is the need that emerged from that trauma? But in general, it's almost always a result of fairly severe trauma and a way of kind of compartmentalizing, um, fractioning out parts to hold different pieces of identity and self and processing. Awesome. And Molly, could you tell us a little bit about what your experience of this has been like. I know that is too small of a question to encapsulate. Before we get into that, actually, can Molly, can you tell us what you did earlier today? Because she told us right before (laughs) we started recording, and I thought it was so cool. Before we get into the serious stuff, I want to (laughs) hear what did you do earlier today? Um, I live out in a rural community, and um, there are cows behind my house. And so I went outside and saw the farmer out there, and one of the cows was giving birth. So I got the opportunity to glove up and help deliver a cow that was stuck. Oh my gosh. 
So you That's birthed the cow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so cool. And I'm going to have the opportunity to, to bottle feed it. Oh, Oh my God. You got to send us pictures of that. That sounds so cute. Oh. Yeah. I didn't get the pictures today. That was too, too much, but. Um, <laughs> I understand. All right. Back to the, back to the, the, <laughs> the task at hand. Tell us about what it was, what it's like for you when, when Caitlin describes what Dr. Fang describes, you know, these different personalities coming out to handle different experiences. What does that, what does that even look like? I'm, I haven't had the opportunity to really to try to describe it to too many people other than Caitlin or like mm-hmm. my family or close friends. Um, <clears throat> and she did a really good job because that's what it is. Like for me, I have a part that holds anger because I don't deal well with anger and mm-hmm. I don't like to grocery shop. So I have a part that can handle and do those things socially that cause me too much anxiety. Um, <clears throat> like right now, I have a lot of noise in my head. I have a lot of people have really? a lot of about about doing this like everybody is very much on board but i have mm. constant chatter in my head what are they saying um everybody has an opinion either about the cows what they want to say <laughs> they think like like <laughs> um, how many do you have 13 wow 13 it's a lot of chatter uh-huh. Not all of them are active all the time. There are several that I very rarely hear anything from, mm-hmm. um, like a protector or like there's mm-hmm. an older part that kind of oversees like everyone in the, the little ones so that I don't hear like little kids crying all the time. That was something I struggled with in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very stressful. It's mm-hmm. like in a kindergarten classroom the first day of school all the time. Wow. And to jump in, like one of the things that uh, relative to some other stages in like treatment and healing is remarkable about Molly is that there is this complex system that's kind of like a house where everyone has their own room. And when they are in the room with the doors closed, the sound doesn't permeate. So like they Mm -hmm. have the they have the opportunity to kind of like opt out of certain situations. And also Molly gets a break sometimes where it isn't just like. 13 people talking all at once all the time. And what's really cool is like, there is the opportunity to kind of develop that out in a way that I I don't know how you do it. We don't know how we do it, but like creating like soundproofing or creating extensions from the room. So some parts can like go off and explore the world and come back when they want to. And so like not all parties and like also we have there were some doors that were like dead bolted and shut who like only recently as there's been more safety and more stability have been like, Hey, this is who I am. BT dubs. So it's just, it is one of the most fascinating things. How, how complex a system you have created to function. What really strikes me is that as a therapist talking to people without DID, a lot of these concepts apply like, oh my gosh, there's so much chat. There's so many thoughts in my head. They're so conflicting and we'll use metaphor all the time, but here it's like literal. It's like the metaphors become literal and and real. Like I I wish I could say to somebody else, you know, soundproof that sound and and then have that be like a real thing that's actually happening. And, And here it is. So I'm trying to wrap my head around how that's possible, but it is really fascinating. I'd like to share a little bit of when I was first diagnosed, Mm -hmm. um, that was in 2012. And I was 
very fortunate because I went into the hospital and I just ended up, you know, with whoever the physician was there. But the psychiatrist I ended up working with was phenomenal. She was a, a child and adolescent, came up to the adult unit and worked with me. And she's the one that helped me because she had just been to some random seminar and learned just a little bit about DID, wow. never treated anybody or anything and took what she had just learned and started basically studying. But she's the one that that told, we came up with the idea of like, okay, we got to have a house, a conference room or something to have a gathering space for everybody. But then everybody needs their own space because I need big girl time. I need to be able to go to the bathroom, take a shower, go mm -hmm. to sleep without worrying about like somebody watching me, hearing me, knowing what I'm doing, because I thought I was going crazy hearing these voices and telling them, you know, and they're like, but you're, you don't have any of the other symptoms for any other mental illness and had the PTSD diagnosis. And that's when it, it all kind of hit that it was DID. And um, so, yeah, coming up with the room and then everybody has their own bedroom. And then we've expanded upon that. And several of them have their room within their room where it might be weeks that I don't speak to somebody um, and they kind of do their own thing, but still have their own job. And that's been within the last year, I think, really, that everybody, I can put everybody in their room. They kind of stay there. Um, and I have some sense of quietness in my life, in my head, wow. on a daily basis. <clears throat> do you do you actually see these? Like, do you actually see a room visually or is it more just like sound? What is it like with this house? Because I have such a vivid visual imagination anyway, like I'm just thinking about it now, like I see like this this room is almost like a conference room with different doors around it or almost like a round house, if you mm -hmm. would. Mm -hmm. And so like everybody can open the door and see each other. And then there's a common area in the middle. And if like Ruby has her own extension and it goes back to back, it doesn't come through. So like nobody else can access it without uh -huh. coming to her in her room. And like drawing pictures and trying to sketch it, that's kind of what it's come out with. And so that's like when I think about it, that's what I what I see is like a, a room with rooms around it. Wow. She is also being so humble in order to maintain that. It's not like, hey, guys, go to your room, please. It is the equivalent of truly working with like five teenagers, some people who are older than you are. It requires every single day having a parts meeting in the morning to listen to everybody's needs, to wow. determine who needs time out in the physical world, to attend to self-care, to do meditation, to like, we had to do exposure to 30 seconds of silence and basically have the equivalent of all these age groups agree and consent to not mess with her, to not be like, blah, 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 like five <laughs> seconds into silence. And even that was just like, I haven't had silence in decades. And so she has put wow. just so much dedicated daily effort into this in ways that you don't even take credit for. It's like, man, why am I not doing more? But it's incredible. I mean, like, I can't imagine navigating 13 roommates effectively, let alone that close quarters. Amazing. You know, I hear you talk about it like that. And it's like, well, yeah, but no, but yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And and I'm, I'm very grateful for where I am now compared to where I was um, just a couple of year, years ago. And the peace that I have now compared to them, like 
hearing things in the piece just internally of like understanding everything because of the work done and everybody having their own place and have, being able to ask for for a little bit of quiet when things are too much and me being able to be responsible for things when I need to be and let instead of someone just jumping and taking over that that was a good time when you know it, there was a time I had no control of something stressful or something weird or whatever would somebody would come out and like I had no control mm-hmm. and would remember things um <clears throat> now I'm very fortunate most of the time, someone will either ask permission or will come out only if it's like really necessary to, to protect me. Mm-hmm. So I kind of know what's going on on my daily life instead of big gaps like there used to be. There still are on a daily basis. I lose time. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody can account for 24 hours a day, but I definitely can't account for two and three hours in the morning and the afternoon and mm-hmm. um each day mm-hmm. um so but, so you can't remember being these other personalities not always sometimes they okay. download the information to me if okay. it's pertinent for daily life stuff like if i've gone to the grocery store and someone bought a whole chicken and it's in the refrigerator outside they'll let me know so i know i need to cook it for dinner <laughs> um but then there'll be times you know you go to the grocery store and you open the refrigerator where did that come from i don't remember going to the grocery store and buying lunch meat or something. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I mean, me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, it sounds like there's been a long journey of working through this and learning how to manage it. Can you tell us a little bit about when it all began and what it was like? You It sounded like it was, you know, the parts were popping out and it's a little bit more like chaotic. Can you tell us about the, the story of over time? So, in 1992, I was in college studying psychology and social work, doing great. Um, my second semester of my junior year, I literally had a flashback one night. I'll never forget this. And like, I thought I was dying. I couldn't breathe. I started seeing things, hearing things and like thought I was living in a nightmare. But like I saw that I was in my dorm room and um I woke up in such a panic that next morning it was all I could do to function, to, to get out of the dorm, to go to my class or whatever. And I must have looked really bad because I had this really wonderful professor said, you don't look good. Let me see you after class. And I said, I had this weird experience last night and I'm like still shaking. And, and he was like, you need to keep an eye on that. If that keeps happening, maybe you need to see see somebody because I couldn't really remember what it was and Mm -hmm. so that started unfolding like within a month i started having flashbacks even during the day so i started seeing a therapist ptsd um remembering childhood sexual abuse and so i started dealing with that and then i ended up having to drop out of school um i became suicidal was in the hospital in and out of the Mm -hmm. hospital Um, they diagnosed me with so many different things um and that went on for years, for years. Wow. From 92 to 2012. Oh, my gosh. Um, you name it, basically, I was diagnosed because of what I would say and the, the problems and the issues. And, um, yeah. Mm. It's a tough time, huh? Yeah, just kind of thinking back about it because it was so different than, than like, what what it is now you know life is hard now but it was really hard before 
before I realized like the things that I was hearing, like hearing myself talk to myself, I thought everybody heard voices. And I thought sometimes that the voices that I heard were kids' voices or were a man's voice. Like I thought everybody did that. I thought it was just like my conscience or like, you know, and then for a while I thought maybe really I am crazy. Mm-hmm. How can I be remembering the things I'm remembering? Mm-hmm. And then finally in 2012, I had been working with a new therapist who was just, it was just wonderful. And I just recently lost her. Um, Mm -hmm. I worked with her for what, eight years. And um, the first four months I was working with her, she knew, but she wouldn't tell me. And when I went into the hospital, she actually spoke with the psychiatrist there and um, they collaborated, you know, and then they shared with, she actually came to the hospital to share with the psychiatrist with me what they thought my diagnosis was. And because, of course, I argued with them. <laughs> How did that diagnosis feel to you? Well, I'd had every other diagnosis. How could it really be something like that? Because that is so bizarre. That is only in the movies. Mm-hmm. And in um, that time, like even now, there's so much more knowledge and so much more discussion about it back then. Like I said, the psychiatrist that was working with me was a child and adolescent specialist who had just happened to go to some random, you know, thing to get some credit and... First time she'd been exposed to us, she said, except for a one paragraph in med school, one paragraph. And she started doing research and that's how she knew to how to help me. Yeah. When I first met you in the hospital, which was years later, the person presenting was like, well, she has DID if you believe in that. Wow. Wait, but like. When I came to Duke and how I met Caitlin, so let's fast forward and I'll be happy to go back and answer, but like how I met Caitlin in 2017, mm-hmm. um, I was suicidal. I was not doing well. I'd been on all these medications. I wanted to come off of them and my psychiatrist, oh, and I had a peg tube in my stomach, so I could not go to any psychiatric facility. She said, the only place I know to send you is to try to go to Duke. Or go to Broughton. Not doing that. Been there, done that. Not doing that. So I loaded up and I came to Duke. And I had, when I told the doctor in the ER, he told me he didn't believe in DID. And that PTSD was over-exaggerated. And I told him I would write his name on my forehead with his Sharpie. And go walk out in front of a bus in front of the hospital. And so they kept me. (laughs) (laughs) Making a point. I wanted help. I needed help. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I was very fortunate because I got upstairs at Williams unit and met with the doctors and everything. And then the doctor was like, I had this therapist student that I think you would really like and we could really help you. And we'll let you meet with her one time. Okay, great. I'll talk to anybody. And that's how I met Caitlin. Oh, And she came back again. She came back the next day and she actually came back. I think I was there two weeks and she was able to work with me several times. Um, And she advocated to work with me when I got out. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time anybody had really advocated 
Mm. my mental health and to make sure that I got the right treatment that I needed. Oh, so wonderful. Caitlin, do you remember those, those, the, the early days? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, you just, you had this magnetic warmth, like the things that you have been through are like a fraction of them are enough to make most people these like cynical, callous folks who like would push most people away. And somehow you just had the opposite effect where it was just this like warmth and openness and everything I said, you're like, yep, we'll try that. I'm doing that. Wow. That actually helps. <laughs> oh, wow, so much suffering for so long. And you're like hungry to learn and to get better. And like, that is so different from most of what we see in in patient mental health, where most people are like, screw you, I don't want to be here. Like, get out of my room, please. Without the please. (laughs) Just like so delightful and refreshing. And I happen to be working with um, Noka, who you guys know, who is just this incredible trauma expert, like, hey, Noga, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take this person <laughs> because we can do this. And yeah, it was just so delightful. It also is like so interesting because still to this day, there is nothing about doing trauma work for folks with DID. In fact, like in general, the recommendation is like, don't do it. And the goal is integration where um, for folks who don't know, it is basically the idea that like the end goal of treatment for DID is that all parts get like sucked back into like one person where you're all integrated into a whole one, one identity. And I think for a lot of people, that idea is terrifying, right? So like for Molly, there are all these people who like, are celebrated. Like, I think that there is like a legitimate love and family and connection where it's just like, oh, I don't know how I feel about you disappearing and that Mm. being the treatment goal, but it's so much like, well, this is what we do. Like, of course you want to be one person. And I get that on the one hand, because it's so tempting, right? If we could all just shut down every painful thing and not feel it and be like, you go, you feel this now. Of course we would do that. And yet, like, so, like, part of the work is, like, all right, Molly, you got to feel that. You don't get to have this mm. take over. And that person, even though it's been your job for decades, you can't jump in anymore. You have to watch her suffer, and that's going to be really hard for you. So it's, like, teaching increased tolerance, but still allowing for these parts to exist, to, like, not have to disappear, to be able to go on vacation and come back when they want to, or to like write a novel in their room, but it just was such a different model coming in where it was like, well, I don't know if I want that. Mm. And so we got to kind of create our own therapy, which like don't try at home without lots of amazing, incredible supervision. But I think it was really cool. We just had such a unique treatment journey starting from the beginning. And it was just it's been so fun getting to like jive off of science, but also use all of your expertise and your lived experience to create this new path. It's been awesome. Yeah. And it's like, nobody, nobody has known quote what to do with me because the therapist that I started seeing that diagnosed me, you know, I was still seeing her 
when I started seeing Caitlin for life stuff, because I was driving from before I moved closer to where Caitlin was, I was driving back and forth once a week just to work with her because everybody said, you know, don't talk about your trauma. Don't go into details. You can name it, but no, we don't need to know the ugly stuff. And um, for me, that didn't work. Mm -hmm. That was five, six years after the diagnosis of DID, still struggling and being diagnosed with PTSD back in the 90s and still struggling. Obviously, there's only so much CBT and DBT and all that crap you can do <clears throat> when you need to try something else. Mm-hmm. Molly, what, like, if you could have your ideal outcome from this therapy, what would life look like or what would your what would your mind look like? I'm not seeking integration. That's not, that's not our goal. Mm -hmm. Our goal has been to live life in harmony, you know, where everybody can get along and and do their thing. And, but I'm also aware of what's going on. So I'm not constantly losing time. Um, Hmm. And if somebody decides that their job is quote done and they're, they're free to go, I'm not holding anybody where they have to be here. Um, yeah. Hmm. Have you guys seen The Good Place? Yes. Mm-hmm. So you know the For ending, sure. where it's like a door where it's uh-huh. like you have to go through the door, but if you want to, you can go through the door. That's kind of how I've thought about it. <laughs> like, you no, know, you guys don't have to. Go. You can linger for as long as you want. You can stay here for the rest of time. Mm. And like, if you're ready to go, we've got this. Molly has got this. Mm. Like we're not necessary for survival anymore. But you're like these welcome friends mm. that are like welcome to stay as long as you want it's like freedom of choice everyone yes. can have that yeah well before we get into the treatment i want to hear more about you know what you did and how it helped it sounds like this this family this group of of parts really are really important to you to the point where you don't want to lose them and i'm so curious can you tell us a little bit about some of them or the relationships you have with them the relationship I have with them now, I can actually say I have a relationship with all of them. Mm-hmm. Well, at at one time I was scared to get mm-hmm. to know several of them because of what their quote job and role was. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, Slayer holds anger. I don't do well with anger. <laughs> That's something I'm currently working on in therapy. Um, mm-hmm. And so like getting to know that part and, and anytime he is out or has any request has always been something that I have feared and tried to hide myself from. But working over the last couple of years and realizing, you know, anger doesn't have to be scary and allowing him to hold the anger so that I don't and getting to know him keeps me from having to hold all of it at one time um, and things start seeping. I get more information. I learn things and I and I feel things sometimes when they are thinking things kind of like when you're talking to a friend and you feel empathy mm-hmm. for them. It's kind of yeah. that same thing. And so I'm working with anger now. That's that's the big one. Um as a side note, Slayer is this delightful man with a British accent. <laughs> you, like, oh, so you met Slayer. Like, you what you met him before. Like? Who loves Slayer? I met I just have pictured oh, this like, oh, this big angry like. Dwayne Johnson, like, The Rock, kind of. <laughs> like, like want to drink tea with him. Yeah. He's like this irreverent, irreverent proper man. So, so have have you been able to just meet, just meet Slayer or meet the? Okay, be like, hey, 
Nice to meet you. Hey, let's meet everybody. Mm, okay. So there's Slayer. Mm-hmm. Who else? Who else are your faves were important? And they're all important, but you know, the ones that come <laughs> might might be knocking on the door right now. <laughs> Ruby and Alex are two of uh, the probably my most throughout my life have, have really been um the most active and still really are. A- Alex is 19 and Ruby is 16. And they are two of them that have aged. Not all of my parts have aged. Mm. That's a whole nother thing. Mm. But they are very, very vocal, very opinionated um, because they're teenage girls. So, um, mm. and they have been also two of the most problematic over the years. Um self-harm destructive behaviors Mm. um and getting them kind of under wraps but also because both of them we've done so much work um they both also have their addition from their room they have a backspace um they're not integrated but like they they can say see it all of them and like let everybody else take care of everything and then i won't care for them for a day a week it's usually it's not been too terribly long. Um, mm. Yeah, and they take care of each other. Um, Alex and Ruby are good buddies and will help each other when someone's struggling. I guess because they're close in age. Mm. My youngest part is five. She started out as three when I first started this journey and realizing everybody's names and. Um, yeah, that was fun to sit down with a piece of paper and all of a sudden you look down in this room and their names written down and I like had no idea. And then my the doctor and I, she's like, do you realize what you just wrote down? Who who are these people? I'm like, I don't know. Wow. Yeah. Um, so they range in age. And then the oldest one is 65, Miss Emma. Mm-hmm. She's kind of... Um, she sits in her rocking chair and makes sure the little ones are happy and reads them books and makes sure everybody's kind of doing what they're supposed to do. And um, she sews. I have a sewing machine up here, you know. Um. Hmm. Wait, the aging part is so cool, guys. Okay, so like when you have parts, often they're kind of frozen, both because of like trauma holding, but also nobody comes out in the same like timeline. Like nobody is out in the same amount of time. So there are these snapshots. And so when you're three and you come out like once a year, mm. you don't age. And so we were like, mm. what do you a birthday party? Like, what do we like think about? Like what, what developmental stages there are, what skills they need to learn to go from three to four. Like, can we age them up? Because living with a three-year-old forever. Uh-huh. Oh boy. <laughs> so like she has started to hold these ceremonies where like people get to figure out like what does it mean for me to be this new age and like what does a party look like how can we honor that that doesn't have to fall on like x day every year but can be more based in like maturity levels and developmental milestones which is so wild that is just a thing we kind of made up together <laughs> And it works. And it works. Wow. Yeah. Are, are some of them, do some of them know how to do things that you don't or like, do oh, yes. you, Caitlin, does it look different when they, when, when different parts come out? I mean, I've heard that dramatic changes can happen, like different 
like blood pressure and, you know, like health can change too with parts. Yeah. Um, if you, if you know me, you might be able to tell like Caitlin, of course, knows my partner knows my, one of my best friends knows other people probably wouldn't. Um, but their Slayer has an accent. Why? I don't I don't know how that came about. Um, Miss Emma sews. I, I can sew, but I'm not a seamstress. She has made curtains for my entire house. Wow. <laughs> can she teach you? Is that something that she can do? Um, probably. I hadn't even really thought about that. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> um, trying to think. What if there's something other people can do that? Well, Mark and Ray are are men in their four ones in their thirties, the ones in their forties. They both build stuff, work outside, work on cars, um, change the oil in the truck. Wow. Well, I'd want someone to take over that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a superpower. Yeah. <laughs> Harness it. Yes, totally different. There's a there's a dissociation moment where it's like sleepy, trance-like that I at this point, which is also wild. It's kind of like yawning, where when you are closer to someone mm -hmm. and somebody yawns, you're more likely to yawn. I have started like feeling the dissociation when mm -hmm. she is switching, and so like that is my cue even before anyone comes out. Is like. Oh, I'm dissociating. Are you switching? And then like somebody will pop out and be like, hey, <laughs> little warning next time. But there, there's like a pretty telltale transition process. And then like, it is, it's so funny in the beginning. I was like, oh no, what if I don't know? And just so, so obvious. The different personalities where before they introduce themselves, I'm like, oh, Ruby, it's been so long. And like, I just, I would hang out with Slayer all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Molly, what's that like for you? Do, is it something you have conscious control of, unconscious? Like, what's it like to go from, oh, Slayer's like my sort of scary pal to all of a sudden I'm Slayer? Um, it, it doesn't freak me out like it used to. Mm -hmm. uh, because when you when you have no memory, all of a sudden you're standing oh. in your house. That's one thing, but you could be somewhere completely different. That's scary. Yeah, you look like well, shit. It's eight o'clock, and it was four o'clock, and I was at home, oh. my mm. wherever. Um, and over time, of course, that's gotten easier. But now working with Caitlin, like people are supposed to announce if they want to come out. There's a lot more communication. Or if they've been out for some reason, they're supposed to download, give me information, either let me know that they've been out and why, or leave me a note because we have a journal. We live by journals. Oh, and cool. Everything. Yeah. Uh, and the communication has changed a lot over time. And I am fortunate enough, there are a lot of people with DID I have read that, that can't do this, but working with Caitlin, if there's someone she wants to speak with, she can ask, and I'd say just about all the time, they will come forward and speak with her. Um, so basically, she can call for people to come forward, and I can just kind of relax, and, and they will come forward. Mm -hmm. What happens if one 
part does something that the other parts or you don't don't approve of or agree with like let's say you want to do something and then your parts come out and they go like no i was i'm i'm not happy you did that or said that to that person uh, is there any conflict with you know how how the sh the house is run or there yeah there can be there can be arguments just like any two people or or many people would have over something ridiculous so like what salad dressing we bought today at the grocery oh. store was a debate. I probably spent 15 friggin' minutes standing there. Okay, two. We'll buy two bottles. Um, you know, that's that's not a big deal. It used to be it used to be bigger things back in the day, um of different things. There are also like, oh poor Eli. Like there are moments where some parts are more impulsive or have the desire to like run across a field when the body is injured or mm. people are like, I want a tattoo. And so like talking to other parts, they're like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. We like hold the door shut when he's in a mood and just like, don't let him out because that is part of our job is like, we got to protect the system. And so if there's somebody who is trying to do something without consent, it's kind of like a bouncer. Like the whole team will be like, nope, mm. you can come out again when you calm down. In the beginning, it wasn't like that, though, because there were times when money was an issue, like money would be on people would out travel, mm -hmm. nothing crazy, thank goodness, and nothing bad ever happened. But there are two tattoos that I didn't know know about. Oh, gosh. They're okay, though, thank goodness. Um, was that Alex and Ruby? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now for another one, but we're, we're at least discussing it. It's actually a, a reward now. Okay. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. We're talking about how kind of now if one of them is misbehaving or at risk of misbehaving, all of you kind of come in and, and say, no, no, don't come out and whether it was always like that. Yes, it wasn't always like that. Everybody was very, very much independent in what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do. It was it was a system, but they still fought even with each other. Mm, uh, yeah. And part of it was to protect me. You know, when information would be leaked or things would happen, they would get mad at each other because so-and-so let me know this happened. And that's why I'm feeling this way or having this memory. And um, that would cause conflict internally with them, even oh. in, in my therapy with Caitlin for me. Interesting. Does does Molly feel like the central personality, and these are kind of orbiting, or it, or are you all equal? How how does that work itself out? And how do they see you? You know that they're protecting you, but also you have this role of kind of managing them. Mm -hmm. At one time, I felt like they were bigger than I was. Mm -hmm. I was only a small part of this, but. But as I've done treatment and worked through so, through a lot of things like my self-confidence and just me knowing who I am as Molly, um, I feel like I am the main person. And these are just parts of me, um, very large parts. Um, but I do feel like I'm I'm the one, quote, in control. And this is this is my life. And, in, and at one time, it wasn't like that, though. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't. Um, I felt like I was a guest in somebody else's house. What an interesting way to 
to describe what people often say is, you know, the the process of therapy. They're just kind of in the backseat. And then therapy kind of gives them the little agency. Mm-hmm. This will put them back in the driver's seat. Yeah. Um, when when you learn things about, for me, for me, when I started learning about my trauma, when I started learning about DID, when I started learning about doing different therapies and like, I didn't want to stay miserable. I don't want to stay miserable. There's things I still want to change now, which is why I'm still in therapy. Um, and making those changes has made it easier. And like now I, I'm, they embrace each other more than they fight with each other. They, they get along more and compliment each other as far as like, because Eli's the wild child and Slayer holds the anger, but Ray's going to make sure everybody stays in the straight and narrow. The body doesn't get hurt, nothing, no money gets spent. There's not any self-injury and all these tight things go on. Um, mm. do they, do they, okay, go for it. I'm just, I'm sorry we're peppering you with questions and thank you so much for answering all of them. <laughs> I have like a million more. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I like for contacts within the first year of meeting you, like there were still times, I remember I was at Kibby's house once and I got a call from Molly and I was like, this is Eli. I'm in the woods. You're not going to find me. Sue. <laughs> <I remember Okay>. <laughs> And like, there was still this distrust because part of, and like, I'm mindful of time. I, I don't know if we have time to talk about treatment, if we want to do that separately, but like part of treatment was doing prolonged exposure and trauma work. And I think there was this fear where if we tackled trauma and they were no longer needed, would they just like poof and vanish? And so while it was like, yeah, we all want to get better. There was still this like, but my whole job is holding this memory so you don't have to deal with it. If I don't have that job, like what's going to happen? And so the starting process of negotiating, like consenting everyone and getting everybody on board was chaotic, not only because it's like, oh, we got to get everyone on board to do this really painful thing that nobody has ever done that may or may not help anything. (laughs) Also like, oh gosh, like will this off me in the process? And that Hmm. I think like popped up in lots of ways that seem like almost funny to think about now because we have we are so far past anything like that happening and we have such good rapport across parts but like that was something that was not uncommon for our first while in treatment was just like people being like i'm gonna do something crazy and there's nothing you can do about it Mm. all right you're right (laughs) like don't please i had a question okay i had Never mind. I'm going to skip my question. Let's dive into the treatment. This is the exciting part, right? It's all exciting. Yeah, it is. Oh, it's just so fun. Cause like we have been crafting this treatment together in a lot of ways and like without supervision, now that I'm like in my own practice on my own, we don't get to be like, Hey guys, look at this cool thing that we tried and it totally worked. It's just like, it's so fun to get to share and for background, Part of our treatment is like, Molly is like, hey, I suffered so much. Like, what do I do with that outside of like feeling the emotions and grieving? And we've been looking for ways of making meaning. And like, we just feel so lucky that you guys are willing to have us because this is such an amazing opportunity to be able to be like, hey, 
this may not work for all of you, but like there is something that you can try that you can talk about that was like just so profoundly amazing for us to be able to do and like have the community and context to be able to do it. But thank you guys. Cause we've been talking about how to make something like this happen and talked about a book chapter, but like no one's got time for that. I like how you put it as we are willing to have you on when really it's like we're bonkers excited to have you on. So <laughs> we're all bumped. Okay. <laughs> so tell um, us what. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just, just going to start out like Caitlin, I, we don't receive training in treatment for DID. Um, so in walks somebody with this very rare d- diagnosis. How do you know where to begin? Mm-hmm. Such a question. So I was in a trauma rotation with Noga, who does specialize in dissociative disorders. And oh. so she walked me through how to give all the batteries, how to do all the testing, which we did way back in the day. And I was like, yeah, that's true. That diagnosis you received, that is accurate. That is what is happening here. And so I was really lucky because I I do think that pretty much nobody has that. And we were able to do that in the hospital while you were still inpatient before starting treatment and then really hit the ground running. And when we started, I'm like, man, my memory is like a little wonky postpartum. So correct me if I'm (laughs) wrong here. Um, But I think we started out in a model where we weren't doing trauma. We were doing skills training and trying to generalize that across parts. So we started with like distress tolerance, emotion regulation, and then printed out like the adolescent versions and went through even the consenting process took us like because we had to like get informed consent from a three-year-old at the time and try to explain like, hey, this is what we're doing. And just consenting to even like trying to learn how to calm down was a process. Mm. That's where we started was just like not treating DID, not treating trauma, just being like, Hey, there's a lot of emotion. We have this treatment model that is designed to help people who have really intense emotions, not engage in behaviors that make your life worse. Why don't we start there and like get some skills on board. And then like, as we were working together, it was like, well, we can't stop there. (laughs) We got it. We got to keep going. And so I learned all about these models that were all based in integration because that is the gold standard. And um, I had some conversations with Noga around like, well, let's say that isn't the goal. Like what else could we do? And she fortunately was willing to try out trauma because in my mind, it's like, all right, this is a disorder born from trauma. How can we treat this disorder without addressing trauma? But I think there's so much fear because in part of media, because of like, this has not been tried because I think there are worries that like some part will take over and you'll never have your identity back. Like, it's just so unknown that people are like, don't, don't do that. Um, And so we talked for a long time around like pros and cons and what it looks like and how we might modify it. And the normal premise of trauma treatment is like, you go for the top of the mountain, you find the big, bad trauma. That's the worst of the worst. You target that and everything else kind of goes away. And so like almost all trauma training, that is what you do. 
we took the opposite approach where I was like, all right, we're going to try this out on mole health. <laughs> we're going to do like exposure and we're going to do all the stuff you're not supposed to do. We're going to titrate the experience where like we're going to color. We're going to keep our eyes open. We're going to talk about trauma in the past tense as though we're watching a movie. We're going to do all these things to distance so that we can tolerate that experience of reliving the trauma in a safe way. And then if that's tolerable, using lots of skills to regulate, then we'll bump it up and we'll start to like escalate to the point where you do a normal trauma protocol. And so like, it really was a, we're going to try this out in a way where we're all willing and understand the risks of doing this without going into the deep end right away and just see how does it go when we do a course of modified prolonged exposure on like a more minor trauma that like honestly was still probably like one of the worst traumas I've heard about, but like relative to the rest of the stuff was tolerable. You had thought about it. You were aware of the whole memory. And we kind of went from there and managed to work our way up to doing full-blown all intensive prolonged exposure. There were times where we had to to go inpatient for safety. And actually, like I would come to the hospital and do sessions inpatient so that you could be safe while we could do this. Because sadly, what I see with a lot of patients is when you touch trauma that intense, suicidal suicidality goes up. And so it's just like, everybody stop, but you never move past it. You can't actually get past the trauma because that is the thing maintaining suicide. And yet you can't, you can't have somebody being actively suicidal while you're doing treatment. So we were just so lucky that I happened to be able to work in the aim patient unit while doing this other rotation. And like, we had the flexibility to kind of do that in a safe way. And like, that is how we first tackled the like big bad trauma was like voluntarily being committed going through a full course and then like doing maintenance as an outpatient. That was a lot of information I just said, (laughs) but like, Oh man, it was so cool. Molly, what was your experience about that? Do you, do it, was it, was it you doing that treatment or did you have the parts involved? Cause I know that if the parts all hold different and if you don't have to go into details, but was it one major trauma was it like a lifetime or several like I'm I'm curious about how it how the different parts held the different parts of the trauma was it like they have have different parts of the same memory or same event or yes I'm sure yeah. that's complicated <laughs> yeah um they I did I do the prolonged exposure um mm-hmm. but there are times when the other parts have themselves have done prolonged exposure on a memory that they have so that it could titrate back to me and I could hold that memory. Okay. Wow. But as a rule, when it first started, it it was Caitlin and I doing the work. And um, as we're talking about abuse, it started at age of three. So there's plenty of, plenty of things to be worked on. And it literally was like Caitlin and I talked and it was like, you know, think about something and whatever, whatever's bothering you, you know, what are you having flashbacks about something, nightmares about a specific thing. And, you know, I was like, well, look, here's this information. And that's kind of like where, where we started. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I have to say that doing therapy with her and divulging the information about my traumas, 
besides being scary to share with anybody, you know, I worried about what what was she going to think and how was it going to affect her because of how ugly and um, horrible, horrid to try to actually put into words and share with another human being to hold besides myself in these parts. <clears throat> and I've been very fortunate because she built she built a rapport with me and with each part that me doing the prolonged exposure and then them doing the prolonged exposure, it means that we're all kind of in the long one involved in it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. One thing I'm wondering is doing prolonged exposure is difficult enough, but it, it sounds like you're also learning from your other parts about the full spectrum of what happened at the same time. What was that like for you? Sometimes I have to just stop and actually take a deep breath and think about like all all the pieces of the trauma in my life and the things we've experienced because it really is a book. Like it mm. was somebody else's story. When I tell Caitlin about it, it's very real and I feel like I'm very much in it. But even right now talking about it, it really doesn't feel like my life and what I've experienced. Um And I have to say that, and I'm grateful for the DID when I start to think about it, because um, I didn't know so many pieces of the puzzle for a long time. And even up until recently, um, gaining information that each of them hold different things that have happened in my life that I didn't remember. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. now I know just about all the, the big, bad uglies. I know wow. the, the big ones wow. enough that, you know, there will... My lifetime, I will probably remember things just like anybody does from their past or whatever. But I think I now am aware, I think, of everything. Don't you think, Caitlin? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yep. And I think like that was part of what made the process interesting. It kept us on our toes, right? So like we would be going through and it would be this story. And kind of like when you're fleshing out a story, it would start out and it would be like, I don't know. And then all of a sudden I'm in this other room and we would go through and just treat it as the complete narrative where it's like, all right, we're going to do exposure on the part of the story we know. And like in round three of a session, it would be like, oh, I remember being like taken from this room to the other room. And so like, as you are going, like little pieces of memory come, which was both like exactly how trauma processing happens when you don't have DID. And also I imagine really frustrating because it's like, all right, we did it. And it's like, wait, here's another piece of <laughs> fun story. Another horrible part happened that I didn't tell you about because I didn't think you could handle it. But it was like this process of parts learning to trust both mm -hmm. of us. It's mm -hmm. like, I believe that you can handle this piece without collapsing and honestly, sometimes the piece that would be shared was like, that's it? Like, that was that was the thing that you thought we couldn't handle where it's like some sliver. But for them, that was like their whole core horrible thing that they have been holding on to as this tight secret for so long. And so it's this interesting balance of like what is disclosed and when. Mm. But I, I do agree. I think by the midway point of any round of prolonged exposure we really had the full story and then it was like 
having to ask parts about like, what about smells or like, what about sensations? And it's like, oh yeah, this smell. And that would add another layer where it's like, whoop, all of a sudden distress is way up again. And One thing I'm, I'm noticing is that Molly is a fake name. And yet the other personalities, I don't think we're using fake names. And that's just kind of an interesting side note, legal, ethical thing here. Do they have thoughts about that? That they're not they're not the center of this story. They're, they're not the one who the rules of confidentiality apply to. I mean, how, just from an ethical standpoint, like, do either of you have thoughts on that? I know that. The thing when they said to me is that that if that if they got to be talked about and named that they wanted to be themselves, they didn't care who I was. And only the people close to me could possibly know who mm -hmm. I'm the, and I mean three people other than than y'all. So I mean, you know. <laughs> and what's interesting, like Molly was like, Yeah, I'm down to use my real name. And I was like, mm -hmm. No, actually. <laughs> You can't. The psychology board says we cannot do that. It's to protect like that is the legal name that could be like traced and tied to documents and yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, and so like that is taboo. But I think were it not like there is no like shame or hiding, which is so cool because there was so much fear when we started where it was like, what if these people who committed this try to track me down what if they try to find mm -hmm. me and you've worked so hard to build literal safety and felt safety to the point where you're like yeah bring it let's name me and like I know that I have created this safe space now and that I am safe and that is so different from where we started but also not ethically okay mm -hmm. <laughs> Interesting. you mentioned there's a couple people in your life who know about this and a partner. And of course, we love talking about how, you know, loved ones play a role in our treatment and our recovery and the opposite. Um, what, what has that been like for your loved ones, your friends, family, and partners? I have a partner and we have been together seven years. Um, which is the longest relationship I've ever had. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm very fortunate. She, I was already diagnosed when she came into my life and in a good place. So she didn't see all the, the beginning and the ugly part, as I call it. Mm -hmm. when, when she came into my life, things were a little bit more organized. And it was when I first started working with Caitlin. So like she has been able to be a part of that part. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not easy for her. <laughs> You know, because she still sometimes will have to ask me, who am I talking to? A lot of times it is me just being a little snotty or whatever. But, you know, sometimes <laughs> she know, because they don't feel like they should have to announce themselves to her. She should know by now. But at uh -huh. the same time, you know, if you only talk to somebody once a month, are you always really going to catch mm -hmm. it? Um, so that can be a little tricky. Um we, we struggle with communication. I, I do in my relationship. Um, we're getting ready to start therapy again because of my communication or our communication. Uh, part of it is there are a lot of alters that have a lot of opinions and just don't feel like I should share a lot of things. Or like sometimes it's the fact that 
I internally talk about so many things that I forget to share them with the other person. Lost my train of thought. Do they all have um, all of the parts? Do they have a relationship with your partner too? Do they need to be introduced in a certain way, or you know, it, it, it's is it respected that it's your relationship with your partner, or do they all feel like they have a relationship with your partner? My relationship with my partner is my relationship. Mm -hmm. They each have their own individual relationship because I would not want her treating a five-year-old the way that she treats me. Right. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Um, and also, you know, also to keep things in line when like Eli's being really wanting to go set something on fire, you know, <laughs> make sure all the matches are put away. Um, <laughs> but they she doesn't really stuff. You know, like, I think that she has, like, a pretty cute relationship with some of the younger parts and, like, gets along really well with Eli, who, like, 13-year-old boy? No. It's young adolescent. And, like, it's just, like, really sweet to hear. Sometimes it can get finicky and snarky. And then other times it's like, yeah, they, like, we're hanging out, going shopping. <laughs> yeah, she's very good about, like, when we've done birthdays. To be a part of that ritual, um, holiday, Christmas, whatever, we'll buy different ones. If there's somebody expresses a need or a want or a desire that I haven't accommodated, she will try to accommodate them. Um, there was something going on in town the other day and she took one of them. She's like, I'm having a day with so-and-so. We're going to go do right now. I can't think of what it was. Oh, the carousel opened at the. The indoor carousel so we hmm. went to go ride the merry-go-round so she took the little ones to go ride the merry-go-round mm -hmm. mm -hmm. in the beginning it wasn't that easy but um they developed trust with her you know and by working with by being in therapy and working with that trust to be able to have a relationship to trust another human being mm -hmm. myself and then for them um because they didn't trust her, my partner in the beginning. They thought, you know, and that was, that was, that was tough. That was part yeah. of. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do they have opinions that they feel free to share with you and that you'd rather not hear? Yeah. <laughs> Seems like a yes. <laughs> it's quite colorful at times. The Slayer talking shit over there in his posture. Well, it's, also, it's so interesting, right? Like we've been working on anger as noticing like effective functions, like within relationships, within romantic relationships, it's important to not shove down every time you're like, mm, I wish you hadn't done that. But that's mm -hmm. the tendency, right? It's like somebody else holds it and then I just ignore it. And so actually having to learn, how do I not let somebody come out who is pure anger who's just like screw you and gets molly into a lot of trouble and also how do we not give away all the things where it's like oh i didn't like that comment but like how do we just not give that to slayer to like stew upon but actually say it and that's mm. a totally new thing to learn where it's just like so automatic that it's like what anger and we have to be like all right, rewind. Tell me about all the interactions. In that situation, I might feel frustration. Is it possible anyone feels frustration? Like we have to kind of crowdsource to be like, oh yeah, 
And then like, how do we assert, how do we bring that up rather than avoiding, which is so natural and easy. And so it's this interesting process of playing out. How do we actually get a little bit more mad in appropriate ways? Mm-hmm. It's so interesting, though, because it really parallels somebody's experience without DID. I mean, just having all these competing thoughts and impulses and motivations and having to sort that through. And in some ways, this all seems more structured to be able to say, like, that's what you're saying instead of just like, where's all this coming from? I don't even know, like, what part of me, like, what should be dominant or what? It, It feels like a similar, a very, very similar process. And like a really defined line of I can handle this anger or mm-hmm. I really can't handle this anger. Slayer's got it mm-hmm. um, to have that, you know, separation. Interesting. What do you, what do you um, wish your friend, your loved ones know about this or what kind of boundaries do you have to set around this? Like what, when let's say you're, you're getting, you know, you have close friends and you want them to, know something important about the way they should help you or not help you or what do you what do you tell them let me start by saying i don't have that many friends i've lost a lot of people Mm -hmm. my diagnosis and then also because of my safety when i left where i used to live Mm -hmm. um, i chose to walk away from a lot of relationships friends that were family you know Mm -hmm. that i within our families were were intermeshed and stuff and um so because of did and also because of the trauma i've I've lost people but the people that are in my life that have been here long term my my best friend i've known her since she was 13 and we've been you know in and out of each other's lives for for years off and on even you know as adults and um she has stood beside me, would visit me when I was first diagnosed in the hospital and has been has has been here and listens to anything. We don't discuss a whole lot. We don't live in the same town, but we still see each other. She is aware when someone comes out, they don't announce themselves to her. She doesn't. She says, I don't want to know whoever's in front of me is who I'm talking to. You're the same person that I have known since you were you know, 18 years old. Mm. If I got to call somebody another name, I will. You know, we laugh about it, but. That made it easy. That mm-hmm. made that made me comfortable being honest with her and open about things. Um, and it wasn't really until really recently that she even learned about all of my trauma. Like she knew my diagnosis and part of it, but I didn't open up about that part to her. Mm. My partner knows my trauma. My partner knows all my parts. Um my mother knows my diagnosis, but doesn't discuss it and doesn't really know much about it. And other than that, I don't think there's anybody really, quote, left in my life from before I moved here. Do you, like, if if Eli, you know, does something that you would you as Molly would never do. Like, how do you have to take accountability for him? Do you have to go into Eli and then take accountability? Like, how, how does that process work? Eli does something that Eli shouldn't have done. Eli has to take accountability. If it if it ends up affecting me or the body, which is usually what happens because I've had mm. 
orthopedic issues over the last little bit, um, then, you know, there has to be that. That's the times when there's been, you know, holding the, the door closed so he doesn't come out and do something stupid because there were consequences for, for myself. <laughs> um, yeah. Makes sense. What's it like for you to divulge this to people? Or like when you were first dating, what was that like? Mm. Or first dating your current partner, let's say. Time to think how. Well, it was because of who I met her through was a, a real good friend of mine at the time. And um, she was aware of my mental health issues. She actually, she, Laura knew my, my diagnosis. <clears throat> and um, so therefore, when I met my current partner, just in conversation, visiting, something came up and, you know, I was able to to, to discuss what it was and, and name it. And that wasn't a big deal. And she was a big support to check on me when I was in the hospital and stuff. So she started walking the journey of understanding of what I was doing. And she actually started educating herself. Um, and that's when we started shortly after that's when we started dating. And here we are. Later. is also a double-edged sword like much like borderline personality disorder if you have a loved one who starts googling there are a lot of things that are like run they must be a monster and it's like yeah. whoa that's not right and so we had to provide like resources and books and materials that were accurate because there's so much misinformation let me interject here that when i met caitlin i'd never I'm not a big computer person or whatever. And I had been told in the past by my doctor and therapist, do not Google DID, do not go down that rabbit hole. And at one time I had to set up parental controls for the alters not to get on the computer and do all kinds of stuff. But I've never been one to do a whole lot of reading and research about other than scholarly articles because of all mm -hmm. this crap right out. Um, and I'm grateful that Caitlin and gave her a list of things. This is what you need to read. If you want information, because she is not evil, she is not crazy. This is reliable resources. And and she did. And that's where she ended up going, which, which helped. <clears throat> and I can also say that she dealt for a while in the beginning with compassion fatigue. Is that what? Mm. Um, because she would come with me to Duke once a week. She would ride mm. with me. And then being even being a part at sometimes part of therapy to be aware it was it was too much for her. Mm. My takeaway is that DID is actually incredibly elegant. Like I I can't quite believe that our psychology is able to come up with such a solution to such I mean mind to to trauma that can't be held because it's just too much. I, I'm I'm keeping struck with like, wow, it's incredible what in some ways a good idea it is that was, you know, and, and what a kind of a, a beautiful process it is. Even I know it has so many consequences, um, but yeah, there's just something so sophisticated about it. I, I can't quite get past. <laughs> it's so fascinating. There are times when I can't believe that my mm -hmm. mind has been capable of carrying all this information and the fact that it's split to carry this information and like that I'm still here and not crazy 
And like people do believe me when I talk about having different parts of my personality holding these things. Um, Cause I can't imagine not, not being like this if I were to hear my, my story personally. Totally. And like, even today, we had a session earlier today, and we're talking about grieving and encouraging, like, you got to hold space for it. And then like, after you have like 30 minutes where you fully allow for sadness, and you let the memories come and you do this stuff, then like, some transition where you can like, let that go and move on with your day. Like, maybe you need a tub or maybe you need a book. And she was like, oh, I can just put it in a box. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Do that. That's incredible. Allow for sadness and then put it back on the shelf, which is just like not something that most people are literally capable of. Like, I know that's a big deal, yeah. but I've never, never like captured it where it's like, oh, yeah, that really horrible thing. <laughs> I'm just going to put it in a box and not think about it. Like, wow, has that never, ever, ever worked for me? Well, but well, everybody did that. <laughs> it's like you're, it's like you're too good at the things that we try to <laughs> train people in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is really cool. And you know, to answer your question, I can't name resources offhand, but I have a comprehensive list that has probably been updated since the last time I sent it. So I will collect it. I will send it to you. So you that's guys great. Can... I wanted to ask if there's anything, anything else, any last thoughts, anything that you want people to know about this, I don't want to say disorder, but way of life. Um, any any last words, any last thoughts? That if you, whatever you're doing isn't working, there's something else. And don't believe somebody when they tell you that you have to do something a specific way because hmm. it's not true. <laughs> you know, I mean, after doing years of the regular psychoanalysis, <laughs> EBT, which is great. Like if I hadn't had that stuff, but trying that something different and keeping on, just keeping on year after year of trying different things, you know, because I tried many things that helped before I got to Caitlin. Um, it just wasn't quite quote the answer to, to everything, but. So the answer is have hope and see Caitlin for therapy. Honestly, I'm like, <laughs> I have a practice is going to be like. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you though. I, I will also add like, I really do think at this stage, after many years of seeing each other, I really do. I am struck by what a superpower it is. And I also don't want to belittle how painful and horrible yeah. it was for so much of your life, for so many people in so many different stages who are trying their hardest in therapy. It is not like a just try harder and you can get to this stage. It does. It requires like so many resources and creativity. And we have been so lucky that like the stars aligned in this incredible way where we were able to meet at just the right time and like have all of the support from all of these amazingly trained people. And so like, and you, Molly, you've worked your butt off for so long. There were so many times where I was like, oh, you're going to give up because this is so hard. What I'm asking you to do is just like, impossible nobody will do that and you just kept showing up you're like drive to duke two times a week all right fine let's do this get a hotel because you won't let me drive home until we continue this session all right let's do this like there was so much willingness at so many different points and being able to see 
how chaotic things were when I first met you and like how much pain everyone was holding to now has just been incredible. It is one of the coolest experiences I've had in my life, let alone as a therapist. It is just awesome, but I don't want, if you are really, really suffering, don't expect that you should be at this place where like everyone communicates and they get along and they just help out when they're needed. Cause like, that still doesn't happen all the time. And like, oh, wow, did you work so hard to get there? It's incredible. Yeah, yeah, this really is so incredibly, so incredibly inspiring for, I mean, both like Molly, the work you've done and what you've been through. And then Caitlin, how innovative um, and tenacious both of you have been. So thank you both so much for coming on our podcast. And we're we're really happy to be a small part of your healing journey as well so um, anytime anytime join us again (laughs) little helpers if you love molly please give us a five-star rating on apple podcasts and spotify and we'll see you next week by accessing this podcast i acknowledge that the hosts of this podcast make no warranty guarantee or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. This podcast and any and all content or services available on or through this podcast are provided for general, non-commercial informational purposes only, and do not constitute the practice of medical or any other professional judgment, advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and should not be considered or used as a substitute for the independent professional judgment, advice, diagnosis, or treatment of a duly licensed and qualified healthcare provider. In case of a medical emergency, you should immediately call 911. The hosts do not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast, and information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement.